Set, good. How you doing? Gosh, it's incredible spirit tonight. Wonderful. God has been good, hasn't he? Uh, what a privilege to be a part of this. And once again, I want to thank uh, James, the entire church, uh, for just everything you've done. Uh, I feel like family already uh, from day one, actually. Um, I'm going to go back to Columbia and share with our people uh, who you are in Christ. And that will be very encouraging to them. You're, you're all welcome uh, to come, uh, not all at once. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're all welcome to come. Many have come that have been with us in these days. Uh, of course, uh, Alan, Sam, and uh, Kenny, and I, there's so many, Tony, uh, so many other uh, individuals that God has blessed us with uh, throughout the years. Um, Mark has come once, once. Mark has been there once, and it may remain once. I don't even understand why I bug this guy so much, because he's twice my size. He could, he could, he could put me out in, in a second. But you, you know that in, in Christianity we don't do that, right? But anyway, uh, yeah, it's been incredible. Um, I, uh, I do hope to get invited back. I hope this isn't just my, my wants, James, uh, especially after the Bobby's Burger today. Is it cheeseburger? Okay, Bobby's. That was excellent. Yeah, I think that's what we'll be eating in heaven on a regular basis. I'm not sure, but, but excellent. Okay, but of course more than that, just to be with you. Um, and uh, I do fly back to Bogota tomorrow. Uh, please pray <clears throat> for my return. Please pray that they will pick me up. <laughs> and uh, that is an urgent prayer request of mine. <laughs> been good. <clears throat> Tonight we're talking about the results of biblical discipleship. Uh, you've got the, the handout, right? The right one? <laughs> I give, give them a bad time. No, they've done a great job. We spent hours <clears throat> defining biblical discipleship in the last three days, and it should be pretty clear as to what it looks like biblically. Now what I want to conclude with, and the Lord has placed this on my heart to conclude specifically with this. Uh, we're going to be seeing the results uh, that confirm that it is biblical. What we're, we're doing is biblical, and it's not just a, a, a program that provides spiritual activity and Bible information for our people. So what we're seeing tonight, in the end, these are the three things that will be taking place in our ministries when we disciple biblically. Now there's other results other than these three things, obviously, but these are the principal things. I believe these are the three principal things that we will be living out and enjoying, actually, as a church as we disciple people and see that multiplied time and time again. Um, so I want us to pray, and I want us to seek God, and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you for what you've done in these four days. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for um, just your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your word.
each uh, servant has been faithful in delivering your word. I thank you for the commitment of all of these men to you and your word. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this. Now we conclude tonight uh, speaking of something that is, uh, is a great blessing. It is a result of doing what you've asked us to do. Uh, it's the blessings that will result from that. And I ask you, Lord, to be with me, uh, be with my heart, my mind, my mouth. I commit my life to you. I ask you to teach us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Well, the very first thing is there will be a multiplication of disciples, as you see in your notes. And, and this is the Great Commission. This is Matthew chapter 28. Uh, this is what the Lord promises to do when we obey him. We make disciples, obviously in him, in his power, and he multiplies them time and time again all the way to the nations. Now, now this is why Satan doesn't want us to do this. The enemy can stop a lot of things that we do sometimes, uh, whether that's our programs, whether that's our own strategies that we implement. But this is something that he cannot stop. And this is why he will do whatever he can for us not to make disciples in our local churches, because he knows that he cannot put a stop to it. Well. We, we've learned throughout these days that it's starting with a few. Uh, that is the biblical pattern. Biblical discipleship always begins with a few. That's what Christ did. He didn't disciple the masses. He, he, he ministered to a few men, discipled to a few men. He ministered to the masses, but he discipled the 12. And, and really, that's what the Apostle Paul exhorted uh, Timothy to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And you're very familiar with that. Uh, and the things that thou hath, hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Uh, I personally believe that he is, is speaking of men, uh, not so much men and women. Uh, of course, there's an application for that uh, in our discipleship ministry here. They all need to be faithful. But I believe that, that Paul was concerned about Timothy uh, discipling, training up men to lead the ministry here in this text. But when he says faithful men, he's speaking of a few faithful men. I'm convinced that he's not talking about the masses, but a few faithful men knowing the very model that Jesus Christ has left, left us. Well, so biblical discipleship always begins with a few. In fact, biblical discipleship requires patience and persistence. We've seen this also in other teachings throughout the week. And when I speak of patience here, I'm, I'm speaking of time. It takes time. Once, I, once again, I use the illustration, the example of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that it took him at least three years. And we're speaking of the Son of God, the teachers, teacher of all teachers, in three years discipling, training these 12 men to continue on with the ministry after his ascension. And so we've got to keep something in mind. This wasn't like once a week, like we live normally in our discipleship experience. We're talking about Jesus Christ living with them day by day, 
24-7, and it took him three years, at least three years, to prepare them to continue on with his ministry. And, and, and this is why uh, it, when I spoke last night, I talked about us, it takes us around seven to, to 10 years. It's that, that long for us because it's gonna take us at least twice as long as it took Jesus Christ to disciple these new believers and take them from the cradle to the field, from new birth to world vision. It takes time. And quite honestly, this is why many churches don't do it. And you say, well, maybe, you know, you talk about maybe 10 years, and of course that includes the leadership school and, and all the years that we take them through this to, to prepare them for ministry. And you say, well, maybe the Columbians are just slow. No, that's not, that's not the reason. It's going to take all of us a lot of time. So when I talk about patience, I'm speaking of, of time. It, it takes work. It takes persistence. Once again, Christ... All these three years, each day, he was instructing. He was warning. He was, he was confirming things. He was giving them the doctrine. He was teaching them how to carry out ministry. It was a lot of work. And I think of, of the Apostle Paul. In fact, let's look at Galatians chapter 4. It's interesting what he says when he speaks of the edification of the Galatians as he taught them how to uh, live out the Christian life, what to believe, good doctrine, notice what we find here in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. And verse 9. We find in the text, 19. My little children, of whom I tra travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I'll read it again. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Obviously, what is taking place here is um, the Galatian believers, uh, they had uh, been influenced by the Judaizers, and uh, they had taught them, as these false teachers came in, that they had to believe and they had to observe Jewish law. And that was how they would be saved. And, and so Paul, he says to them, you know, I, I travail in birth. He's comparing forming Christ in them to giving birth. And he says, I've got to do this again because you didn't get it the first time. Uh, you went through the course, but the course didn't go through you. You didn't catch it. Salvation is by grace, by faith alone. And, and so it was like giving birth again. And I've never given birth. Hallelujah. <laughs> I've never done that. And it surprises me a little bit that Paul refers to that. He hadn't either. But we do know as men that it's not an easy thing. We usually observe what our wife goes through. I know in my situation, uh, when we had our first, first little girl, uh, my wife and I, uh, when she told me, Paul, I, I'm, I'm in labor, I've got to go to the hospital. When she told me that, I immediately, James, got sick. I, got, I went into the bathroom and I drank a, a bottle of 
Pepto-Bismol. Do they still have that? That was, yeah. And I drank the whole bottle because my, my, my stomach, it just turned upside down. And so I, I was sick immediately. And so, and so Joanne said, I've got to go. I've got to go. And I said, well, I, I don't think I can drive. I'm not doing well. And, and, and so we, we got, we, we went to the car and, and so she gets in the driver's seat, puts the seat completely back, and is driving, okay, to the hospital. I'm over here in the passenger side, and I'm going, oh, I don't, no, I don't. I. So we get to the hospital. We had called ahead of time, and, and so they had the wheelchair ready, so they come out and get Joanne out of the car, and I told the nurses there, I said, I'm going to need one too. I'm not doing well. Complete wuss, Mark. <laughs> Just even the thought of giving birth, I, I, I can't imagine. But really, Paul is using this as an illustration to explain to us, hey, this is a lot of work. There's a lot of sacrifice involved. This requires effort, persistence. In fact, pain. The perfecting process is painful sometimes. When we perfect the saints, it's not easy. It takes work. And by the way, once again, that's why a lot of churches don't do it. That's one of the main reasons why they don't do it. It takes too much time. It takes too much work. So let's just get everybody together on Sunday mornings and let's preach to them. Thank God they're doing that if they're preaching faithfully the Word of God. But discipleship, it's patience, it's time, it's work. You know, we struggle with working with a few and investing the majority of our time and effort in those few because our very culture trains us to get big results with little effort and in little time. In fact, this is where modern Christianity is at today. Not too long ago, I heard of a, a, a movement, and I'm sure the intentions are, are good, but they, they spoke to me about starting churches. They don't start churches without having a facility built and 2,000 people to begin the church with. And, and I asked a few questions, and I, I learned a little bit about how they go about that, but it's not evangelizing people in that community to start this church with 2,000, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's from believers from other congregations that come in and join with them in this effort. And like I say, perhaps the intentions are really good, and they're wanting big numbers from the beginning. The only point that I want to make tonight is, that is not the biblical pattern. So it's, it's starting with a few, and it's seeing those few multiply themselves out. Like we said, that, that's what God does. And this is a beauty of biblical discipleship because it just naturally and spontaneously re reproduces itself. We don't have to fret. We don't have to force or program growth and results. The multiplication process just simply takes place. When we make true disciples, those true disciples always make more disciples, and they're true disciples. That's the way it works. So if we are willing to make a few, there will be more in time. Uh, I've had pastors in some of my visits to the States. I don't come a lot. Um, but 
one time, at times I've come and, and I've heard from pastors, they told me, well, Paul, we tried discipleship, but it's just our people, they weren't willing to commit to it. So it didn't work for us. And my response to that pastor, hey, I don't know your situation, I haven't lived that, and you know, uh, what you're saying to me, I'm sure that's true. Maybe there, there's not a willingness to, to be discipled and to be perfected and, and go through the process. I understand that. Maybe that's what you're living. But let me assure you, discipleship does work because it's biblical. It's what Jesus Christ commands us to do. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is, I'm going to challenge you to pray for a lost man. And I'm going to challenge you to win him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to challenge you to, for, for you to take him under your wing and just invest your life in him. Give him the word of God and make one disciple. And let God do the rest. And by the way, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing here is really important for any missionary that's just starting out. For any pastor that's beginning a new church in this country, this is how you start. And the most important stage in the formation of a church is the first stage because what we have in the beginning is what's going to be reproduced out from there. Well, this is the beauty of biblical discipleship. God does it. The Lord Jesus Christ does it in the hearts of, of men and women and this is just multiplied out time and time again. This is what the Jerusalem church did. I mean, we're not inventing anything new. It's not like the Living Faith Fellowship has something new that no one knew about. We're just doing what the, the primitive church did. We're just doing what Jesus has asked us to do. It's nothing new. And we know the beginning of that ministry in Jerusalem. We see in Acts chapter 1, it's, it began with 120 disciples. Those 120, of course, came from the 12 uh, it was 12, then 70, 70 then 120. And, and then as we look at Acts chapter 6, if you'll look there with me, Acts chapter 6. <coughs> verses 1 and 2. It says, and in those days when they the number of disciples was multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And the twelve called the multitude of disciples, notice, it's a multitude of disciples now, not just 120, unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Well, we know what happened. You know the text. Most of us know what, what happened here. They chose seven men of a good report, filled with the Holy Spirit, wise, and they dealt with the need, which allowed the apostles to continue in prayer and the ministering of the Word of God. In reality, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. And in verse 7, what we find is, and the Word of God, the result of that was, the Word of God increased, and the number of, notice, disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. 
1270, 120, now multitude, and that multitude was multiplied out greatly. Well, it doesn't stop there. You know what happened through the persecution that God permitted, allowed, with a very specific purpose, and that was to fulfill Acts 1.8. Now we got Acts 8.1, persecution, so that they will fulfill the Great Commission. They're scattered out. They witness, they testify, lead people to Christ in different regions. And now we have churches, according to Acts chapter 9, in Galilee and in Samaria. And in those churches, more disciples were made. And those disciples, in fact, went out, started other churches throughout the book of Acts. And in those churches, more disciples were made and multiplied. And it just went on and on. So this is what the primitive church did. We're not inventing something new. We're just obeying what Jesus Christ asked us to do, and we're following the biblical pattern because that's what works. That's what God blesses. This is the way that he wants us to minister. You know, uh, by God's grace, I can personally testify to the Lord's faithfulness in multiplying disciples because this is what I've lived in Columbia. And in reality, I mentioned this before, when I went to Columbia, I really didn't know a lot. I was 30 years of age. I'd never started a church. All I knew was, and this is due to his grace in my life, he gave me a wonderful father that loved missions. He gave me some very important men that he placed in my life, Bruce Bell and many others, that, that helped me to understand something about missions. What I did get was, Whatever we did in Colombia needed to get to the nations of the world. And by his grace, I understood a little bit about discipleship, not a lot. But what I did get was I needed to invest my life in a few men. And that's what happened. That's what I did. Maybe a little bit stupid, quite a bit stupid, but at least I got that. Dr. Kidoga, I prayed for one family. And the, the husband, the father of that family, Dr. Kidoga, a uh, very important doctor in Bogota, Colombia at that time. He's passed since then. But he, uh, he actually won, he was won to Christ in the state of Florida about uh, a month before we went to Colombia, and I met him there. He was saved at a Baptist church, and uh, someone let me know. I was speaking in another church. And he got saved in a Hispanic church in Margate, Florida. And someone came to me and said, hey, uh, there, there's a, a Hispanic work over here. I would like for you to meet the pastor. So I met the pastor uh, on Tuesday, Wednesday, after I spoke on Sunday. And the guy says to me, you're not going to believe this, Paul, but, but there's a Colombian family that came to our church and visited. They were visiting relatives here. They showed up last Sunday, and they got saved. And they're going back to Bogota this weekend. It'd be great if you could meet them. I said, wow, we were just going to Columbia for the first time to, to start the ministry. Now we're going to meet some Colombians that are now saved in Jesus Christ. I met Dr. Kidogan Margate at their relative's home, and I explained to him what we had in mind to start uh, the ministry with home Bible studies and just teach the Word of God to the Colombian people in their homes. That's how we were going to begin the ministry, and he said, my home's first. My home's first. After he grew in the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching him the word of God, discipling him in his home, 
he began to witness and now more doctors. He's talking to the doctors of his clinic, so now I've got more doctors to, decide, to, to win to Christ and to disciple. And I say all of that to say this. It works. By God's grace, his faithfulness in discipling, in multiplying, I should say, those few believers to thousands of believers that have been discipling and that are being discipled today in Colombia and some, some people outside of Colombia. That's what God does. I'm a witness to that by his grace. Secondly, there will be an abundance of leadership in ministry for ministry. You see, leadership spontaneously springs out of biblical discipleship. The cream always naturally rises to the top. God calls some of those disciples that we make in our ministry to lead ministry. That's just the way it works. I love Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, if you'll look there with me, verses 37 and 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Verse 37 says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now we know what Ephesians chapter 4 and 11, verse 11 and 12 teach us. It teaches us very clearly that the leadership of the church that God has placed, the apostles, prophets, pastor, teacher, evangelists, leadership of the church is placed to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Jesus Christ. So if we do our part in the perfecting, and now Jesus Christ, he's the sender, he's the one that selects, he's the one that places in ministry those labors for the field. If we perfect faithfully and we pray faithfully, don't forget the praying, when there are disciples that have matured in Jesus Christ, they've been trained, they've been equipped, he is freed up to call and to send. It's very simple. That's the way it works. Now, if there's no one to send, he won't send. It's very simple. If there's not disciples available, he can't call anybody. So we do both. We, we perfect, and while we're perfecting, we're praying. Oh, how I prayed as I was perfecting that God would give us those first leaders and that he would call those specific men. And he did that one by one. Rudy, the first pastor of that first church, the mother church in Bogota. And from there, other men all throughout Colombia. And those are the ones that are leading the ministry today. But there was a perfecting and a praying. Well, there's an abundance of leadership for local ministry when we disciple, when we obey God concerning discipleship. For local ministry, and this is godly ministry. We're not talking about any kind of leadership. It's godly leadership. This is what biblical discipleship reproduces. 
leaders who walk with him, that have good doctrine, that understand biblical ministry. So we're not just talking about quantity here, we're talking about quality. And by the way, this is where your pastoral team will come from. The, the very leaders for your different ministry within your church, this is where they're going to come from. What a blessing for a church to have godly leadership in our time and age. And this day and age, it's a, it's a, what a blessing. It's priceless. Godly leadership is almost absent today in evangelical churches. We've got leadership with big egos, with big bank accounts and big kingdoms, their kingdoms. But to find men of God leading churches today, what you have, I hope, that you, you thank God for it on a daily basis. I, I've met your leaders. Man, these are, these are incredible men of God, and not to exalt them. But, but I've been able to meet them and, and spend a little time with them. It's obviously that they love the Lord. They love His Word. They love you. How valuable is that? It's priceless. That's what discipleship produces. Well, homegrown leadership, that's what it is. It's godly leadership, and it's homegrown leadership. That's what we're referring to now. It's all in-house perfecting and training. It's within the context of the local church. It's family, all with the same DNA. It's, you say, well, that, it sounds a little bit cultish. Well, to me, it sounds a little bit biblical. <laughs> sounds a little bit biblical to me. It, it's God's plan. This is the biblical plan that God has given to us to develop leadership. It's within the context of the local church. This is what Jesus Christ himself did. This is why he confided in the 11. One was, was fake, was phony, but the 11, he confided them in them to carry on his ministry because he personally had trained them. This is what the Apostle Paul did in every single city where he founded and formed a church. Acts chapter 14, if you'll look there with me in Acts chapter 14, we see this. Verse 21 through 23. And it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city, speaking of Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, where they had already preached the gospel. They had evangelized there. Notice verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Notice what it says in verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, now these are the, the very things that the Apostle Paul and his missionary team did in every single location, every single city and local church. They did the very same thing. They evangelized. They confirmed the souls of the disciples. They ordained the elders. They confirmed who the leadership was before God. And, of course, the other thing, and we didn't read it there, but they committed them to the Lord. Yes, I did in verse 23. Those four things. The, that is the missionary work, by the way. This is what all of us as missionaries should be doing. 
When you hear missionaries, you hear their reports as they come back from the field, these are the four things that you're, you're, you need to, to, to be hearing. Evangelization, confirming the souls of, of the saints through the discipleship, the establishing of the leadership of the churches that they're forming. They're not there as pastors. They're to turn the church over to the national leadership, and then they co commend them to the Lord. That is the work of the missionary. Amen. Well, that's what Paul did, but notice, it's from within. In every single situation, it's from within. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we see Paul sending Titus to Crete. Notice what it says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting or lacking, deficiente in Spanish, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Once again, we see another example of Titus, of, of the church leader, forming the leadership from within. Well, that is the biblical way. So it's the healthiest and safest way. This is what makes for most effective ministry. Because when it's in-house, perfecting and training, the church knows their leaders, trusts their leaders, and follow them. Now, when we do this, we really don't have any need. When there is a need to fill a position in the church, there really isn't any need to form committees and to gather resumes from different church leaders from other churches and to, to select among those that send us a resume. We really don't have to go through that process. Now, I know that's the system. That's what is normally done, but that's not the biblical pattern. And you and I know, and, and I'm speaking of now years of observing this, and how the hurt and, 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 and the, 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 the disaster that this has been, the results, the hurt in the lives of the believers and, and the churches that have been taken down, that at one time had a fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, were missionary churches, and, and all of these changes. And, and well, we hope that it, go, it goes well with this new guy. We don't really know him that well, but out of all the resumes, we got this one. Now, now, please don't misunderstand me. God can do whatever he wants to do. If he guides you to do it that way, hey. But that's not the biblical pattern. And there are risks that we take by doing that. I am so thankful and I am so thrilled for what I, I see here and happening in this, this church. The very transition that you're going through and, and how well that's going. You're a blessed people. Someone took the time to disciple this guy from within. Joe loved him and helped to train him and God has something for Joe in another place, but you don't have to hurt in the transition. This is going on. What a blessing. So you see, this is the blessing, the benefit of discipling our people. There will be an abundance of leadership. Joe can go because there's someone else to replace him. If there's no one to replace him, he shouldn't go. 
for missionary ministry, not just for local ministry. There, there's an abundance of leadership. Some will be called to lead locally, and others God will call to leave, to go out. And we're speaking here of, of God-called missionaries. And by the way, and we're not, not here to, to criticize others, but in fact, in my heart, and I know this happened with my father before he passed, it, it hurt him to, to see churches that he had been in for years that years ago sent out missionaries, but they didn't do that anymore. And remember what we talked about last night? My father said, we just don't, Paul, we just don't have strong Christians. We don't have strong churches anymore. Missions can't happen if we don't have strong Christians. And the reason we talked about it last night, that we don't have strong Christians, we don't disciple. We don't perfect the saints. We don't take the time. We don't, we don't put the effort into it. It's too long. It's too, too time-consuming. So let's, not, let's do something else. So now God is not freed up to call some out. This is what discipleship does. It produces that abundance of leadership. So now we have leaders for the local ministry and, and two, and, and also for the missionary ministry. God called missionaries. Let's go to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. There's a lot here. And I remember I, I used this text um, when I was with Alan in his church there at Harvest Baptist. But, but it, there's a lot here, and it's very, very important because what is happening is that Acts chapter 11, we find, remember we saw this, Saul and Barnabas teaching for one entire year. Those new believers, and from that, remember what we saw in Acts chapter 11? There now were disciples, and those disciples were referred to as Christians by the unsaved community. These were Christ-like Believers, disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Him. So now we come to Acts chapter 13, and now we find not just Saul and Barnabas, but we, we find here many teachers. We find other leaders. So now the Holy Spirit is freed up to call out Saul and Barnabas. Don't miss that. That would have never happened if they would not have take that time, taken that time for one year to invest their lives in those new believers, teaching them the Word of God. This is the result of that, missions. Once again, I remind you, this was each day they were working with them. 
It's not our system. It's not our mentality. Now, I'm going to meet with him once a week. This was every single day for one year. Well, notice here what happened. Now the Lord is freed up to call a couple. Now there's leadership in place to carry on with the ministry. So God calls and he sends. We don't send. I mentioned this at Harvest. We don't send anybody. I know we use that word, but biblically it's the wrong terminology. We just read in Mark, Matthew chapter 9, verses 37-38, he's a sender. He's the Lord of the harvest, and he does the sending. We do the separating. You say, well, no, in, in verse th 3, Paul, in verse 3, it says, no, it talks about sending. Look, notice what it says in, 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 Acts, chapter, in Acts chapter 13, and verse 3, it, it says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, that sent, you can do your study, that sent, that verb is speaking of saying goodbye. <laughs> In verse 4, it's a different word. It, they were sent forth by the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because we don't, if we get involved in sending people, we're going to make mistakes. That's where that human manipulation comes in, and we're eager to get people out, and so we end up sending. And that's one of the reasons why we have casualties at times. They get to the field, and things don't go real well because men sent them. The Lord must send. I thank God so much for, for Rudy. Now, he, we say Rudy. His name is Rodolfo. He's the senior pastor uh, there in Bogota, and he's a Colombian, and, and, and his position, he's understood this, his position is, hey, until God gives us the green light, until we almost hear that audible voice of God, now I know he's, we're not going to hear that, okay, but almost, <laughs> we're, not, we're not separating you. No, but I, I'm ready, man. I've gone through the discipleship process, and, and I've gone through the four years at school, and so I, I'm ready. I... And Rudy says, not yet. Of course, he with the, mission, the pastoral team, they pray about this. And, and notice that's really important because we're talking about a leadership in Antioch that was walking with the Lord, man. They were ministering to the Lord. They were praying and they were fasting. They were in tune with the Lord. And so they were hearing his voice. And God said, now. Whenever we get involved and we begin to manipulate that thing, we get in trouble. And the ones that we send suffer as a result of that. This has to be a God thing. This has to be Him doing the sending. And He will confirm through the leadership of the church now. And a lot of times we don't even understand why it's not now. The guy's gone through the school. He's gone through the discipleship process. Why doesn't the Lord give us peace? There's always a reason why. He's not ready yet. So he continues to serve in the ministry until God gives us the green light. He sends. He confirms to the leadership of the church, and then we separate. That is a protection for us. But these are God-called missionaries. That's very important. Missionaries that are sent by him, not by us. Missionaries qualified to fulfill the mission. 
the context. I remind you of the context of what we're studying tonight. We're talking about making disciples of Jesus Christ. They're multiplied out to the extent that now that God can call some of them out. But who does He call out, church? He calls out the best. Please understand that. The greatest challenge in ministry is to go to a foreign field, learn a new language, learn a new culture, and establish a church in that new culture for that missionary. That's what Cale is going to be living here fairly soon. Pray for him. Hopefully you'll pray about supporting this guy. I'm not his, I don't get any commission for, you know, I, that's not the idea. But I love this guy, and I know God's great, got great plans for him. He's got a great heart. Uh, get involved as you possibly can. Pray about that, please. But he's the best. The one that's leaving New Philly is the best. The very man that's in Caracas, Venezuela right now, Franklin Beltran, the leader of our discipleship ministry in Bogota, Colombia. And God said, Venezuela. Venezuela. And we're, you know, we're saying, what? The best. By the way, this young man arrived to our church at the doorstep of our church when we were just beginning the church. He was about eight years of age and uh, on the street with his mom, on the street with his mother. Had nothing. She had just lost her job. She was a maid of, in the home. They, they fired her. And she, they just saw the church and came to the, to the door of the church. And I opened it, saw him. And it's a very touchy deal in Colombia. We have people that come by all the time and are in need, and it's hard to, to know how to help them. Of course, we share Christ with them, but the physical part, that's not always easy sometimes. There's a lot of engaño, deceiving. Uh, you don't really know who it is and what their motive is, and there's been some bad experiences there. But the bottom line is God gave me complete peace about just taking them home and taking care of them. And I'll never forget, man, here's Franklin now. He's, he's coming to church with his mom, and we get him a, a place to live, and we get the kids in school and help her to find a job. And, and soon they find Christ, receive Christ as their Savior. You know, Franklin now has a big Bible. It's almost bigger than him. And everyone said, the pastorcito, allá viene el pastorcito, the, 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 the pastor, the little pastor's coming. Discipled in the church, goes through the school, becomes one of the leaders, ministers for years as the leader of discipleship ministry. And believe me, our, our, those that have been to our ministry, it, our churches have a lot of professional people and medical doctors, university professors, people that graduated from Harvard University in the States. But here's a humble little guy that now is leading the best. He's got a heart. And now he's in Caracas, Venezuela, steadfast in the midst of a very difficult situation, winning people to Christ, consoling them with the Word of God, and saying, you know what, it's worth it to hang in here because this is Venezuela para Cristo. This is Venezuela for Christ. 
Well, I say all of that. It's the best. You know, years ago, and I don't mean this wrong, but, uh, you know, the missionaries, and I'm talking about the 60s, maybe the 70s, the attitude of the missionary was, well, okay, you know, you know it, you, you're not that great of a preacher, so you can be a missionary. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, you're the second-class citizen. You know, the, the first-class citizen, we can be pastors, but you, you better go to the field. And in fact, in those days, they had uh, uh, missionary barrels. Some of you remember that? Missionary closets? James, look at, you're looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Um, uh, he, he, he's, he's young, he doesn't get, but, but the bottom line is that, and they, it was well-meaning, but they, they would take us, when we would come back to the States you know, and visit, they would take us to a, a, a room where they had missionary barrels. They called them missionary barrels, and that was used clothes from the different church members that clothes they didn't want anymore, and they would give it to us. It was like, whoa. <laughs> Today, thank God, by his grace, that mentality has changed, and we're understanding it's the best. And they deserve the best. I'm not talking about me. Deserve the best. That's who he sends. That's who he sends. Proven servants that will remain on the mission field no matter what. The best. Proven servants, and we know they're proven servants because they've gone through the process. We know them. They've proven their faithfulness locally. They've made disciples here locally. That's what they're going to do on the mission field. They've already been faithful doing that. Now it's just a change of location. It has to do with geography, but it's the same man of God doing the same thing now in a foreign country. And I want to remind you that these are your own missionaries. These are your own missionaries. That is really important. Missionaries, God called missionaries, missionaries sent by him, missionaries qualified to fulfill the mission, and these are your own missionaries. And this is so vital because this means that the relationship is going to be stronger. <laughs> and I'm trying to give you an idea of, of the blessings of what God wants to do and will do and has done, in fact, in your ministry here locally and perhaps in many other ministries, you've lived this out, but now you're sending your own missionaries. You're not just adopting. Most churches just adopt because they, they, they don't have anyone to send. God can't send. I should put it that way. They don't have anyone to separate because they haven't discipled, so God can't move. He can't move anybody out. Now you can because there's, there's some available proven servants of God that he will call to the mission field. Now, hey, I mentioned about adopting. It's not wrong to adopt because some of you have adopted me and I don't want you to drop me because of what I'm teaching. Okay? Alan, don't drop me. He forgot me. But don't drop me, Sam. Keep the dough rolling in. But, but here's the sad part. 
not, I'm ta not talking about these two guys. They, they love me and have been there for me. But usually as, when it's an adopted option relationship, the relationship usually consists of financial support. But we speak about a, of a church that separates their own kids. <laughs> the relationship is entirely different. But when your kids leave your home, the physical, you know, speaking physically, your, your children physically leave home, your relationship continues. In fact, I thought with my older kids, some of you know my story, and I got some two little kids right now, but with my older kids, when they left home, I thought, okay, out of here. I'm free, man. <laughs> Those that have lived this out, you know that's not true, man. Whatever's happening to them, we're involved, we're concerned, and that's a good thing, especially when we speak of the local church separating missionaries. These are our kids that we brought them up. We want to know what's happening in their lives. Are you okay or not? Man, this is, this is a beautiful thing. This is the way it should be. That doesn't mean you can't adopt ministry. I, I, Kale's coming to Columbia in October. I'm praying that many of our churches will support him. I know that's what's going to happen. They're going to adopt him. He, we didn't raise him. But we know who he is. We know he's a proven servant of God, and so we wouldn't want to be a part of that. But believe me, their relationship with Kale will be different than the ones that they send out. That's just the way it works. Our relationship is stronger. Our relationship is greater. You will watch over them more carefully. You will provide for them more faithfully. You will make them accountable. <laughs> and Lord knows we need accountability as missionaries. One of the reasons why we've had so many casualties is that the relationship between the church, the churches that support the missionaries and the missionary, is that it's been just financial the missionary hasn't really had someone to be there for them. And so when they get in trouble or when they're tempted, they can't pick the phone up and just say, hey, I need some help. There's no one to call. No one really cares. They kind of want, you know, the missionaries, you know, on their walls with the pictures so they can say we've got 100 missionaries we're supporting, but they really know, don't know what's going on in their life. That's what we normally live as missionaries. We need someone to hug us. We need someone to love on us. We need someone to be there, that lifeline for us at times. When we send out our own kids, that's what happens. This is vital. In Columbia, I've said it in many places that I've been throughout the years, but it has so, been so sad it's break, broken my heart as I've seen missionary families go and then come back home. And not coming back home because it's, you know, because uh, of a health situation, but, but because of brokenness, uh, discouragement, fear, and many other things. And I've always asked this, myself the question, could that have been a void if someone would have been there? A church, not a, a parachurch, not a, a, a Christian board, a local church that would have raised them up and been concerned about them once they left for the field. Where's that at? 
Satan has run amok on the system. Number three, we'll finalize. There will be financial resources for ministry locally and abroad. Now, all the pastors are going to get thrilled about this one. (laughs) This is another reason or result, I should say, of biblical discipleship. You see, obedience to the Great Commission, that is making disciples with the intention of taking the gospel to the nations of the world, this brings blessings, many blessings. We've talked about many of them, but but even financially, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, this truth, this promise, is applicable to the believer and to the local church. This is just a truth. This is just the way it is in Christianity. When we focus upon him and his things, and his things refer to his kingdom and his righteousness, and we can, we can get into that, don't have time, then he focuses upon our things, specifically our needs. That just works. That, that works. Whenever we just, you know, I, I've never as a missionary, I've never tried to be concerned, okay, is, is, I don't even look at it. I, God is my way. I don't look at, okay, how much came in and what churches sent us, how much. I, I don't have time for that, and I don't really care. I, I really don't, because that's not my mission. My, 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 my mission is to stay focused on the mission. And, and he promises to take care of us. I never understood why missionaries had to go from church to church begging for money. I, don't, I never have gotten that. I don't even see it in the scripture. We just need to focus upon what he's called us to do, and he will provide our needs. Now, this is not luxuries. This is not riches. These are our needs. That's the promise. This is applicable to you as a believer, to your family, and to the local church. There will be funds for the local ministry, financial resources for the local ministry. And this, I, I share this as a testimony. I do not share this to boast. This is a testimony of God's grace, of his greatness. But, but I mentioned last night about the Colombians paying their own way. And, and that is the way it's been from the beginning. When we went to Colombia... This is by God's grace totally. I didn't understand a lot of things, but one thing that I understood was the ministry that we were to do there was to be indigenous eventually. And so I didn't take any money. We had our support to go, and that was it. I took no money for for ministry, zero, purposely, (laughs) because I I desired for them to pay their own way because I, I felt that this is the biblical way. This makes for a healthy ministry. And so I just took the Bible. Now that sounds pretty spiritual, but in reality, that's what we did. And I encourage young missionaries, it depends obviously on their situation, but, but uh, it could be different than ours, but, but I believe in most cases what we need to take is the Word of God to these countries. We don't really need money for ministry, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I already shared with you how the Lord led us to begin with... Uh, evangelistic Bible studies, and, and in those homes, in those, with those evangelistic Bible studies, those that received Christ, we continued in the homes, and uh, we discipled them. I didn't understand a lot about discipleship, 
but enough to know that I just needed to build their lives up in the Word of God. I didn't have any lessons. I just, I had the Bible. And, and so that's what happened. And so these people grew in the Lord, these new believers, and now they're understanding God's plan for their life. And then they begin to say to me, now, Paul, is there any possible way we know that you have nine or ten other Bible studies in Bogota? Could we ever get together with them? I was waiting for them to say that. You know, we, I said, that's a great idea. Maybe we can do that. And so we met all together in a combined Bible study. Uh, they, they gave their offerings to be able to rent a facility for that Sunday, and we met. And, and then we, they, they were thrilled because it was the first time they sang together. I always took my guitar to the homes and, 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 and played the songs there. So when now we've got 50 all together singing the same songs they're thrilled, first time they've ever lived this in their life. And I stood before them and taught them and preached to them the Word of God for the first time Amen. in group. Yeah. Then they said, could we do this again? And I said, you know, I think we probably could. Now, we, we will, we're going to have to, you know, this is going to cost us something, but that's really the only thing that, that doesn't allow us to continue. And so then they gave their offerings, and this was all spontaneous. And, and so this happened for another year, meeting every month for, for, for once a month. And, and then they gave their offerings in that year, and now we could rent a facility for every Sunday. Now, everyone's not in agreement with this, and that's fine. You don't have to do it that way. That's the way that the Lord directed us and guided us. But the point is this. Through discipling them, these new believers, they grew in the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning giving. And that was so vital because this was their ministry. The Bible says, the first church, the Bible says of Bogota, it was their ministry. They invested in it. I, I struggle perhaps when, when, when I hear about us taking money to the foreign fields because they can't. Well, let me ask you, so is the gringo God, is the North American God bigger than their God? Or do we have the same God? Can they grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in His knowledge and in His grace as 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, can they grow in that just as you have? Can, can, can they grow in the grace of giving just as you have? You say, no, but Paul, you don't understand. No, no, they're, 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 they, don't, they don't have money. Wait a minute, do they live? Do they eat? Do they sleep? Do they have a place to sleep? Do they have a bed? How do they buy that? Their, their situation or the, the facility they, that they eventually have and pay for may be much more simpler than what you have here, but they can pay for their own facility. They can. Why would we take away from them the opportunity of growing in the grace of God through giving? Why would we do that? Yes, they can. I was told by missionaries when we began there, that can't happen, Paul. What you're talking about doing indigenous ministry here, the Colombians paying for, for the, on, paying their own way, that's never going to happen. I, I've never taken money to Colombia to do all ministry there is paid for by them as a testimony to his greatness. There's a promise here 
that is very important in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And you probably know the context. We're talking about true disciples of Jesus Christ, believers in the church at Philippi. These individuals uniting with Paul when other churches weren't there for him. They were faithful in supporting him with much and much sacrifice, they, they, they gave their offerings to him, they united him with him and participated in the advancements of, of the gospel of the, of the kingdom, the, the advancements of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the promise as a result of their faithfulness as disciples of Jesus Christ, as a local church is, God would provide their local needs. That's the way it works. Also for missionary ministry. There will be funds. When we make disciples, what happens? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. We're closing with this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. Really, this is a description of a true disciple. It's one that is steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Of course, that includes service, really any aspect, even giving, abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor, your service, your giving, investing in the work of the Lord is not in vain. As we are discipled in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we make disciples, they begin to understand what matters the most? True disciples, and I think it's there if we can go back, true disciples of Christ live and give for what matters the most. That's just what happens. And we've talked about in the last nights about taking the, the individual, the new believer, from the cradle to the field, from new birth to spiritual maturity to the field. That's what biblical disciple does. So now they're seeing what Jesus sees. Now they have compassion for the multitude. They love what Jesus loves, the lost people of the nations of the world. They want to be a part of that. They know that this is not in vain. We do not have to pound our people concerning given, giving when we just simply disciple them. We go, take them through that perfecting process and they grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The result is they love what he loves. And that's missions. And I was raised in a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I saw this before my eyes. Now, my dad didn't understand discipleship like you and I do today. He had no lessons. What I do know is that there were true disciples in the congregation of Tulsa Baptist Temple because they love missions. They perhaps did it through their Sunday school classes, and I know my father invested his life in many men, word of God in hand, and the result of that was a mature church that loved what God loves, the lost world. They lived to fulfill the Great Commission. So all my life I'm observing this, and we're talking about middle-class people in general in the congregation at Tulsa at that time. And my dad believed in faith promise giving, and that came from Oswald Smith People's Church in, 
Toronto, Canada, Canada that, that this man, Oswald Smith, had a fire, a passion for missions, and that was transmitted to my father. He got it, and, and he challenged, my father challenged the church to each year by faith give more and more and more. Not giving according to what was in our, our budget, but giving by faith, trusting God for that amount. And every year, the believers were growing in the grace uh, and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving more and more and more. And over 100 families were sent out of that church, supported by that church, on the mission field. Today, Columbia, this is what he's done. It's a result of discipleship. The church in Bogota last year gave nearly one half, uh, half a million of dollars to missions. Bogota. I, I don't know as, uh, as far as the other churches throughout Colombia what has been given. I have no idea what the figure is, but it's got to be over a million dollars altogether to missions. This is above their general tithes and offerings. And I was told years ago they can't do this. God has done this in them. Why do we limit him? Why do we, why do we think that we've got an inferior God? He promises to be with us to fulfill this mission. Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What more do we need? He's by our side as we make disciples. And this is the final product of that. Now, here's the, here's the nitty-gritty of what we've seen tonight. Is this what you are living as a local church? Now, hey, this is heavy. But remember, we talked about this from the beginning, in time. <laughs> I didn't, we didn't live this in Colombia, you know, in the first couple of years. This has been years. In time, this is what spontaneously will take place. This is the Great Commission. This is what the Lord does when we are faithful in making disciples. Eventually, we will live these three things. Disciples will be multiplied out. There will be a multiplication of discipleship, uh, disciples. There will be an abundance of leadership for local ministry and abroad, and there will be funds to take care of what we're doing here locally and also abroad. We will be able to support the missionaries that God is sending because he sees now that there's leadership in the church. Others can leave, and in fact, there's funds to support them as they go. Wow. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. That's beautiful. All by him. All done by him. If we'll let him do it, and just be obedient to him. <coughs> if it's not happening in, in your church, are you willing to make the necessary adjustments in order to live it out? Are you? You know, we've received a lot of teaching in four days. I myself, I got to go back and I got I to gotta go over this. I got to meditate on it. I'm going to challenge you to do the very same thing. Pray, seek God, go home, meditate, restudy, and say like the Apostle Paul, what we saw last night, Lord, what will you have me to do? And then do it. Oh, but they won't like it. Do it. <laughs> because you know what? What's at stake? Do you know what's at stake? The nations of the world. They've not heard. They've not heard. You and I have heard. Father, we thank you for being present.
Thank you, Lord, for your word that is so clear, that is so direct, that is so empowering. Lord, we, by your grace, are present here, saved in your Son, Jesus Christ, with a mission, the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations. And Lord, in these four days, we've learned how to do that, probably more than most believers and church leaders throughout the world What an honor, what a privilege, what a blessing to be a part of this. But Lord, help us to make this a reality in our life. Help us, Lord, as a church to say, Lord Jesus, what will thou have me to do? And just obey you. You've told us what you want us to do. Now we just need to obey you. Lord, I pray for this local church specifically, for James, and thank you for him. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll have your hand placed upon this church. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you will use it to get the gospel to the nations, making disciples of all nations. Lord, I thank you once again for your presence with us. In Jesus' name I pray.